Hey guys, this is the Real Life Monopoly Podcast. This is your co-host, Jeffrey Donis, alongside my partners and brothers, Kenneth and Kerwin Donis. We are real estate investors, and the point of our podcast is to help you reach your financial goals, which will allow you to have time to focus on your true passion so that you can live not only a happier, but more fulfilled life. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to today's show. Today, we'll be having Hayden Harrington out of Texas. Hayden is one of the founders of Momentum Multifamily where he is in charge of the acquisitions as well as the asset management of the company. On today's show, Hayden touches on his first deal, which he just recently closed this past January, and how he was able to close on that deal. Without further ado, let's get right to it. Thank you for tuning in to the Real Estate Monopoly podcast. This is your co-host, Jeffrey Donis, alongside my two brothers, Kerwin and Kenneth. Today on the show, we'll be having Hayden Harrington out of Texas. Hayden, do you mind introducing yourself to the audience? Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, so like Jeffrey said, um, my name's Hayden Harrington. I'm 26 years old, based here in Dallas, Texas, originally from a suburb of North Houston called the Woodlands, but I've been up here for about six, six or seven years now. Um, got my start in, in single family growing up, rehabbing and, um, you know, fixing, flipping homes with my dad, but, you know, always had the dream to go bigger. So, uh, you know, that's where multifamily came in and, and just closed, uh, uh, pretty big deal, just shy of 30 million, uh, about a month ago now. So pretty, pretty excited to continue to grow and, um, yeah, go from there. Awesome. Yeah. It sounds like you've been having a, a busy year. Um, to go into your story and, and how you started in single family, do you mind going into what you were doing and what made you want to transition into multifamily? Yeah, absolutely. Good question too. Cause that's where a lot of people start, you know, they start where, um, because they have a little bit of money and, you know, they don't think they can go and buy a big apartment complex. So they start with what they have. Um, but you know, the problem with that is, you know, single family, you don't have scale. So, um, you know, you're either hundred percent occupied or you're zero <laughs> percent. And, uh, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of that, but it was a great learning experience. So my dad, you know, he was an engineer by trade, so he loved to figure things out. He loved to, you know, do everything himself. He hated contracting things out because he just didn't trust contractors and, you know, he wanted the quality of work to be up to his standards. Um, and so as a byproduct of that, I got kind of dragged into everything <laughs> to give him a helping hand. Um, and, you know, it was great. You know, I learned how to redo floors and built staircases, you know, converted homes from like a three and one to a three and two. Um, you know, I've, I've done it all, but, um, you know, it's it, it taught me a lot. And it also showed me the risks when when you go small. Um, you know, for instance, we had tenants that would just get up in the middle of the night, break their lease and just, just leave, <laughs> you know, and, you know, we had people that would steal appliances and stuff like that. And, you know, the legal cost to go off and try and recoup your money and the time and the stress and the energy that it takes, it's just, it's really not worth it at the end of the day. So the next time something like that happens, you really question, is it worth it? You know, and a lot of times it's not. So unfortunately you have to eat that cost. And to me, I saw that as a, a huge risk, right? Um, yes, you may get a great tenant, but you may not. And, you know, that's a big gamble, especially when, you know, that's your, your occupancy is solely determined by that one person. So, um, you know, that's kind of where the dream to go bigger came from. Uh, but I wouldn't trade it for the world either. I think it's a great place to start. I think it's a great place to learn. But I also want to, you know, reiterate that you don't have to. There's There's ways to um, you know, go bigger. If, if you think big, uh, you can definitely make it happen and kind of get the right people around you. But, uh, you know, that's kind of what brought me today and, you know, what got me interested in real estate, especially growing up. 
Um, so that's kind of where I got the bug and, um, you know, been, been interested ever since. Yeah. So to kind of touch on that, um, of course, like you said, a lot of people first start in the single family space and then realize that, um, you know, the economies of scale in the multifamily is, it's a lot greater. Um, so of course you were thinking of switching over, but if you don't mind going into what your first deal kind of looked like, um, you know, how many units it was and how much, uh, either if you raised money or if you brought that with your own money. Sure. Yeah. Good question. Uh, you know, it was a long process to get that first multifamily deal. Um, you know, I started, uh, I teamed up with my partner, Dustin Miles to, to start. It started as a, a meetup and called it Momentum and it turned into a partnership, Momentum Multifamily. Um, but, you know, during 2019, uh, especially if people are in Texas, they know that prices were really tight. Uh, it was extremely competitive and that made it pretty challenging. So we were struggling to kind of get offers out the door. Um, so pretty much all of 2019, just, just underwriting, just torn deals and submitting offers, getting a lot of second places. Um, and then, you know, 2020 comes around. We finally get an LOI accepted, but it's in March. And, you know, <laughs> I'm sure everybody knows what happened in March. The whole world shut down. And so we had our LOI accepted on a Monday. And by that Friday, we had to rescind it. Um, so you can just imagine like all this work, all this time, all this effort comes up to finally getting that offer accepted. And then all of a sudden the whole world, you know, <laughs> shuts down, just, just kind of crazy. Um, but you know, for instance, that deal was, uh, it was like a 1963, 118 unit deal. Uh, it was half chiller, you know, half converted to HVACs. It was half flat roof, half pitch. So it was kind of an odd deal, you know, it was in a good market, but you know, we were still excited about it, but. Um, so unfortunately we had to let that one go, but you know, we took the proactive approach. We didn't want to sit on the sidelines. A lot of syndicators, a lot of groups, um, you know, kind of took vacation. They said, well, deals aren't coming out. We're just going to kind of stop underwriting and stop, stop talking to brokers. And, you know, we, we wanted to understand what was actually happening so that we can pass that message on to our investors and show them that, Hey, we're, we don't know exactly what's happening here, but we want to try and figure it out and find one where the risk is. And then two, where the opportunity is going to be on the other side. So, you know, we took a very proactive approach. We were always talking to brokers, always talking to lenders, trying to figure out what the interest rate environment was doing at the time. And, you know, I think the, the product of, you know, continuing to stay active led us to this deal that we got. And we really shifted our focus to, to newer assets during that time too, just because there wasn't really a light at the end of the tunnel. We didn't know when the economy was going to kind of open back up and, so we needed to mitigate risk however we possibly could. And, you know, if there's a couple different levers that you can pull and look at when you're talking about minimizing risk. And a big one is, you know, your tenant base. And then another one is the, the type of property that you're buying. So obviously there's more inherent risk with an older property that has outdated systems. And, you know, we, we were all sort of dealing with the tenant risk because the eviction moratoriums and stuff like that at some level. Yes, you can buy a better tenant base, but at the end of the day, you couldn't evict. So everybody was kind of dealing with that. So we said, well, we want to minimize risk however we can. So if that means shifting our focus to a newer property that, you know, just less problems, that's a great way to minimize your risk when we don't know when the end of sight is and the economy is going to kind of get back to normal. So that's when we started really shifting our focus to, to newer assets. And on top of that, we, you know, we were expecting pricing discounts and they just never came, you know, because, you know, we essentially got to see one of the greatest stress tests you'll ever see for, for asset classes. 
and multifamily performed pretty well. And so as a result of that, the enthusiasm for multifamily just went through the roof. And, you know, I don't know if you guys are underwriting deals right now, but you can probably see that prices are, you know, still pretty high. And so cap rates, uh, relatively were pretty much all the same, whether you're buying an A, B or C. So we said, if we're going to get the same cap rate, let's buy newer. So it ended up leading us to getting, uh, uh, we bought a 228 unit deal down in, down in Houston, Texas, uh, built in 2012. So A minus product. Um, really great asset, you know, stabilized deal, cash flowing out the gate. Um, pretty excited about it. And, um, yeah, it was kind of a comp, like the perfect storm of events that kind of led us to it. But that's kind of the background and how, you know, we set our sights on it. Cause we were looking at B and C for a long time. Um, in 2020, we just kind of shifted our focus to A and B. So first multifamily deal. Yeah. Just shy of 30 million. We had to raise 10.2. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's that's awesome. awesome. So you touched on something that I thought was very important, and which is taking action regardless of what the economy is doing, regardless of what's happening on the outside. You were always underwriting deals, and that led you to your next, your first property that you got under contract. Um, it's just exactly what we had been talking about a couple of days ago, which is just uh, never. Just a lot of people will take a break from it just because cap rates are so low and prices are so high, which is kind of counterintuitive. You really want to just keep those relationships warm, keep underwriting deals taking action, good things will always come, right? Um, and I noticed that you really were, were you only making offers on properties that had over 100 units? Is that something that you guys have in your buying criteria? Yeah, that's kind of our main focus. Um, you know, if it's local, we'll look at something a little bit less, call it 75 and up. But it's just uh, a lot more, you have economies of scale, it's a lot more efficient. From a management perspective, you know, you really want to be above a hundred units. Otherwise your expenses and your payroll and stuff like that's going to get pretty expensive on a relative basis. Um, so, you know, a hundred plus is, is ideal, you know, and the great thing is too, especially, uh, with multifamily, it's not any harder to really manage a 300 unit deal versus a, a hundred unit deal. And it's probably hard, more difficult to, you know, to manage a 50 unit deal just because you can't afford to hire full-time staff. You probably don't have a leasing office and all those different things. Um, so that's, you know, the other interesting thing about multifamily is it actually is, is a little bit easier once you get that scale too. Awesome, man. Um, you mentioned that you was, that was a, I think a class A asset and we're really familiar with, you know, value add strategy, um, targeting B and C assets, like you said. And so I was wondering if you could maybe go into how your business plan is different with the class A asset and, Something that's class A or B plus um, compared to something that would be a B to C asset. Sure. Yeah. I mean, a great question too, because a lot of people think you know value add is has got to be like a B and C deal, right? Um, but a lot of times, especially in Dallas, a lot of those deals have been picked over. They've been turned. They've been upgraded. You know, a half dozen times over the last forty years. And so, is there really a whole lot of value add left? Is the big question. And especially how much more can we push those rents if you've already, if it's already been touched so many times. And so the great thing about, you know, early to mid 2000s is a lot of times those properties haven't been touched. Um, like we bought it from the group that bought it from the developer so that when they bought it, they didn't really have to put a whole lot of money into it because it was brand new. And so they kind of, they just cash flowed it for as long as they could. And then when they had the chance, you know, their loan was coming due. And so they asked the question, should we refi or should we sell? They just cashed in on all the equity that they had built up. And so they sold. So the great thing is they hadn't touched the property, you know? 
So that offered us the ability to be that first. We, we really like it because you're the first gen value add, you know, and you're the first time coming through up, updating the leasing office, updating the units, and you can capitalize on those, uh, those renovations. Um, you know, the big question mark with, with B and C a lot of times is if I go through and spend all this money on this property, am I really going to get those premiums? So a lot of people think there's not a whole lot of value add with a class A deal, but you know, sure, if you're buying a brand new deal from the builder, there's probably not a whole lot of value add there. But if you're buying an early 2000s, mid 2000s, you know, they've just been holding it for a long time, haven't been touched in, you know, 10, 15 years. You know, there's a, there's a great opportunity to come through and do that first gen value add, capitalize on those improvements. And, um, you know, you still got a 15 year old property. Um, and, and we really did our homework. It, it, it all comes down, like even cap rates, it's, it's so relative and it's so, um, dependent upon that micro sub market and understanding the story of the individual property to begin with. Cause if you just say, Oh, this is a four cap, I'm not even going to waste my time on it. But what if it's been poorly managed? What if the NOI is really low because of the management, their rents are lagging the market and there's an opportunity to come in there. So does that four cap really even matter? Um, so it's all property to property, market to market, um, and really piecing that story together to find if there's value here. Awesome advice. Um, going into your, your mindset and some of the things that you faced going into that first deal, what were some of the things that, or if you just don't mind touching on one thing that you thought was going to be easier than it was, and to go off of that as well, what was one thing that you found was harder than you thought it'd be? Uh, getting a deal. hundred <laughs> percent, you know. Um, it took me about two years to close on that first deal of consistent effort every single day. Um, and so, you know, that was the most challenging thing was just to have the patience, especially when you get connected, you see people around you doing deals, you know, that's, that's tough, right? You know, they're like, man, I'm just spinning my wheels and I'm not getting anything. You know, it just, it's, it's, it's tough to keep that motivation. And that's where your purpose really comes in, you know? Is this really what you're meant to do? Is this what you're passionate about? Because that's going to keep you you turning those wheels until you gain some traction. Um, but that was probably the most challenging. You know, just getting a deal is incredibly difficult. Uh, there's a lot of factors that come into play, especially in multifamily. You're dealing with more sophisticated groups. You're dealing with bigger dollars. Um, you're dealing with you know more requirements. It's not like just buying a home. You know, you know if you're going through the agencies, Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, and stuff like that. You know, they want to see net worth, liquidity requirements. They want to see that you've done a loan with them or somebody on your team. Um, so it's, it's challenging to put all those pieces together and just to win a deal is extremely hard. I mean, we offered on a couple of deals, um, about a month or two ago, even. And, you know, there were 30, 40 offers on. It's like, <laughs> you know, how do you win that? Right. Um, so it can be extremely, extremely challenging just, just to get a deal. I think that's the most, uh, difficult part of the whole thing and just having the patience um, to keep you going and keep pushing because, you know, we underwrote probably, I don't know, 100, 125 to 150 deals before we got that one, you know, so that was challenging. Let's go, kind of go off of that. What was one of the easier things that you found that you expected it to be harder? Um, you know, that's a great question. The, uh, honestly, probably the management. Um, when you're working with a good, competent third-party manager, um, you know, they know what they're doing <laughs> and they're good at their jobs. You know, we work with a company called Asset Living out of Houston. Uh, we've been building a relationship with them for about 18 months, underwriting deals, looking at deals with them, uh, you know, getting pro formas. 
and stuff like that. And, um, you know, they are very good at their job. And, you know, the takeover process and all that stuff just went incredibly smooth. They were extremely professional. And so in my mind, I was like, wow, this is, this is pretty easy, you know, because they, they really got it handled, you know, you still got to stay on top of them and understand what's going on and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it, it was one thing that kind of surprised me. It's like, wow, you know, you don't have to do everything yourself. This is kind of nice, right? For sure. That's kind of the idea of, um, really just the proof of concept that you kind of just figure things out as you go. But, uh, to go into it, I know that you said you hadn't done one before. How how was your track record something that you had to kind of overcome when it was coming to talking to these lenders, talking to these sellers and brokers? Um, how did you overcome that? And and was that I'm sure it kind of played a role in the reason that it kind of took you two years to get your first deal. Do you mind touching on how you were able to uh, you know persevere through that? Yeah, no, great question too because you know track record credibility plays such an important role in this business. It's all relationship based. It's all who you know. Um, and it's all, you know, what have you done? <laughs> um, so that's huge. And the, you know, the great thing about multifamily too, is you don't have to have all that experience necessarily yourself. You know, you can partner with it, um, and kind of align yourself with it so that other people in the industry view you on that same level. And so, you know, my partner, his name's Dustin Miles, just one of the nicest, most humble guys you'll ever meet. Um, you know, and he had done 10 deals, uh, prior to us teaming up together. So he's had a lot of experience and knew all the brokers. He's been doing this since, you know, 2012. Um, so been in the game for a long time and, you know, just having brokers seeing you CC'd on emails and stuff like that and starting to ask them questions. And, you know, they recognize one name and they didn't necessarily recognize mine at first, but over time they, they start to get familiar. Okay. These two guys are working together, you know, same thing with, you know, attorneys and, um, you know, insurance brokers, management companies, all these things. Cause you know, even in our due diligence process, we don't just underwrite a deal and submit an offer. We, we do our initial underwriting. If something looks industry in, interesting, we go and get in a pro forma from our management company. Then we go and talk to a tax professional and we talk to an insurance broker and all these different things to double check our numbers. And so you know, you've got to have a credibility in the eyes of all these different people too, because you don't want to waste their time and they're not, you know, they're not going to waste their time on anybody. Right. So, um, you know, having somebody on your team that has credibility is, is really, uh, really valuable. And I think it's, it's what allowed me to kind of help, help kind of put me on an even playing field. It definitely takes time because people just aren't going to, you know, know you overnight, but, you know, as, as you get more familiar, as you start talking to brokers and stuff more often, going out to lunch with them, touring deals, all these different things. And they know you're serious. You know, you put some offers in at the end of the day too, um, that are good offers. Um, they'll start to take you seriously. Like that was a big, honestly, that was a big, um, kind of unknown for us moving into Houston because even my partner, he hadn't done anything to Houston. So we had to really get pretty aggressive to, uh, in terms of like, you know, hard money and stuff like that in our terms and, um, to just to break into Houston and show the brokers that, Hey, we're, we're serious. We're not just messing around here. That's something that of course, everyone that's starting in this business, uh, you really have to sort of either, either have had a track record or partner up with someone who, who knows what they're doing. And it makes sense. I mean, these brokers, they don't want to ruin their reputation by having someone that can't close because at the end of the day, that's really the most important thing that they care about. Right. Um, so to kind of go into your future and now what you are planning on doing with, with your company Momentum after you close your first property, what does that look like for this year? What are your goals for this year? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, our goals um, are to do a deal a quarter. That's kind of what we're shooting for. 
Um, we'd love to do two or three more this year. Um, and, and really kind of focus, focused on certain markets like DFW in Houston. Um, cent- so kind of centralized. Um, so j- just because it affords you more options down the road too. And from the management perspective, you know, if we get, you know, half dozen properties in Houston, we can hire an asset manager and kind of scale our company that way. You know, if we're spread too thin, if we're buying prop deals all over Texas, you know, how do we hire an asset manager and stuff like that? So we want to build a legit company out of this. And I think doing that centralized in certain markets makes a lot of sense. So, you know, moving forward, you know, Houston's a, a primary focus for us just because you know, we found a little bit more value down there, a little less competition. And also I'm from the north side of Houston, so very familiar with the area. I still got family down there. Um, so it's just it makes a lot of sense for us. And so, you know, that's that's what we're looking to do. We're looking to grow. Um, you know, we got a lot of investors that are, you know, reloaded and ready to go. So just trying to get that next deal, um, you know, create our, you know, get a pipeline of opportunities and um, kind of have something going on every quarter. So that's kind of our, our main focus right now. I, I kind of was something that came to mind. I was wondering how many hours you actually put towards this business. And is this the only business you're currently doing? Yeah, this is sole focus, you know, every day, all day long. This is this is what I'm doing. You know, I think I, if anybody's read uh, the book Outliers, you know, you know that if you want to be great at anything, typically takes 10,000 hours. And that's probably pretty accurate. Um, so if you're not committed, you know, it's it's going to just push that timeline out and take longer and longer. And I was like, man, I want to I want to commit. I want to make this happen as quickly as I possibly can. You know, two years is a long time. But in the relative scheme of things, you know, it's 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 really you know, it happened pretty quick, especially at, at my age and stuff like that. But, um, you know, you got to put the hours in, you got to put the time in, especially when we, when we got that deal, I mean, from eight o'clock in the morning to eight o'clock at night, Dustin and I were on the phone talking to each other, trying to figure, <laughs> figure this thing out. Um, you know, you got to love it. It's an on-call business. You know, if you're not willing to pick up the phone at 10 o'clock at night and talk deals, you're probably not going <laughs> to make it in this business. You know, it's it's on call all the time and, you know, it's very hands on. Um, so I love it, but it, it does take uh, a lot of effort. That's for sure. You mentioned your partner. I'd love to, if you could maybe expand on what your roles are um, and what each of you do in the business. Yeah, really good question, because I think that's uh, extremely important um, to have different roles. And that's that's one of the things. There's a lot of coaching programs, especially here in Dallas, and they're great. Um but to me, initially, when I was kind of looking at them and understanding how the multifamily game is played, it didn't really make a ton of sense to me if, well, you go and spend a lot of money and learn the same things that your partner may know. So you, you may just butt heads because you have differing opinions because you've both been taught the same thing. And maybe you just look at things a little different, you know. So to me, it, it made a lot more sense to find somebody that had complementary skills so that, you know, you do what you do really well and I'll do what I do well. And together we can go further. And so, um, you know, Dustin and I, I think we're a really great team. Uh, you know, he's really numbers oriented. He's an engineer by trade. And, um, so he's very, very good at, you know, picking a deal apart and figuring out is, is this a deal? Is this not a deal? Um, and I love marketing. I love branding. I love customer experience. I love thinking of, you know, especially when we had a networking event going in person, you know, when that prospective investor walks through the door, you know, every little thing is going to make an impact and is going to, um, you know, it's going to add to whether they're going to invest with us or not down the road. 
And so I love thinking about that sort of stuff. So together, I think we make a really great team. Um, and as far as our process goes, you know, I do the initial underwriting. Obviously, Dustin, you know, Dustin has a son. He's got a family. You know, he's got um, pri- those are his main priorities, you know, and I don't. So I have I have a little bit more time. And so I can filter through all these deals and talk to brokers and stuff like that and kind of pick a few and see which ones are worth pursuing, which ones aren't. Um, because that takes a lot of time just in itself. And so I do the initial underwriting process, kind of talking with brokers and all that stuff. When I find something interesting, then I'll say, Dustin, hey, you got, we got to look at this one a little bit closer. Um, then we'll circle up together and, um, you know, figure out if it's an opportunity from there. Um, you know, obviously he's got a great track record with, with investors and with, um, he's great with numbers. So ha- handling like finances and stuff of the properties and operations. He's very good at that too. Um, you know, I office here in Richardson, Texas with our general contractor. So I love the kind of more hands-on, uh, you know, putting scopes together for rehab projects and stuff like that. Uh, you know, we can knock that out pretty quick. So, you know, a little complimentary skills, but, uh, you know, I think we work really well together. Could you maybe just go into some details to what, how you do that initial qualifying of a deal before you push it to your partner? Um, like what do you exactly, what kind do you look for? And uh, yeah, how do you filter it? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, good question again. So number one criteria that we look for is the area. We want to be in a good part of town. We want low crime. We want good schools. We want a good household income, you know, typically, you know, 70, $75,000 and up in household income, stuff like that. Low crime. Um, cause you can put a lot of money into a property. You really can't change an area. So, um, that's our number one criteria is where the property is located. If it's in a rough area, don't even need to look at it. Like I'm not, not interested, you know, uh, it's just going to be a headache. You know, we've heard some stories. Um, that's for sure. Um, so number one criteria is the location. We want to see a property in a good area. Um, we're looking for, you know, kind of eighties and up, uh, preferably nineties and early two thousands kind of vintage properties right now. Um, and then as far as the underwriting, you know, you dig into the T12, you dig into the rent roll, figure out, you know, how the property is performing. If there's any opportunity to, uh, you know, potentially manage it a little bit better. Um, and then really digging into the comps and understanding that story. Cause like I said earlier, the story is what's most important because you may look at a property and it's not performing well on paper, but it could just be a management play, you know? And then if you look at all the other comps, kind of like the property we bought and, you know, it was, uh, it was called Sync at Liberty Hills. We rebranded it the Henry at Liberty Hills. Um, it was lagging the market, you know? So people initially think, you know, class A, there's no value out there, right? Um, but we looked around and we were 100 to $300 below our competitors. And the Henry was running concessions and the competitors were not. That's a big, big indication that, um, you know, there's room for improvement on the management side because, you know, if the market, if the submarket isn't running concessions, um, that's a great indication that you have a strong submarket. So why is this property the only property that's having to run concessions and they're lagging the market and rents and stuff like that? It's just because, you know, they hadn't put any money into it. You know, the finishes were getting a little dated. And so we saw that as a lot of opportunity. Um, so really understanding your comps in the market as a whole to understand the story is a really, par- really important part of the underwriting process that a lot of people don't necessarily uh, dig into. You obviously got to, you know, use your time wisely, uh, too, at the same time. You know, when I first got started, I was real excited. And so I was going around touring every property that came out. And I was like, wait a minute, we're like 
so far off on these on these asking prices and I just spent all this time before I looked at the numbers. So um, definitely getting a little smarter about that. You know, I think as, as you gain experience, you understand, you know, which properties you should be shopping versus which one you shouldn't. Um, and you start to get more of a systematized process down, but um, that's, that's really kind of our, our underwriting process from a high level. Just, you know, one, looking at the area, two, digging into the financials. If it checks those two boxes, then we're going and, you know, we're touring the area. We're actually getting a feel. We're shopping our comps. We're doing all that. Um, and we're uh, simultaneously, we'll be, you know, getting quotes from management companies, insurance, taxes, and all that stuff to dial in that, uh, dial in that underwriting because we don't want to fire off an offer. Like, for instance, taxes. You know, a lot of people don't get, um, don't get estimates on their taxes from a tax professional, but that's your number one biggest expense. You know, if, if that fluctuates on you, say you're talking 50, 100 grand, that can change the numbers, you know, just that one thing. And so we want to have, you know, all our ducks in a row and, you know, so we want to sleep well at night too. So we, we don't want any big unexpected bumps and expenses coming down the road too. Um, and I kind of wanted to go back into what your rule was. You said that you were big on branding. Do you mind going into what that entails? Um, I'm all, that's kind of my role in, the, in our partnership with my brothers. I'm in charge of branding. We have a podcast, social media and all, but I'd like to see what you're currently doing and what that looks like um, and what the purpose is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think, I think marketing, I think branding is such an important piece of the puzzle that, you know, too many people, uh, don't spend enough time on. Uh, you know, your brand is, is everything, you know, that's how, that's what you can build a company around. And, you know, the thing about syndications and, and real estate, it's kind of a, kind of a slow business to adopt change. And it's, it's typically, you know, older folks that are doing it, um, just because it takes a lot of capital. Um, and so, you know, as a result, a, a lot of people just do these kind of mix and match partnerships. I'll do a deal every now and then. Uh, I'll take a partner from here, take a partner from there. And that's great. You know, you can be extremely successful at that. But, you know, I, if you really want scale, if you really want to be efficient and have synergies within your organization, you know, I think really, you know, branding it and, um, you know, bring in bringing different roles in house instead of just partnering, I think makes a lot of sense. You get a little bit more control and then everybody can kind of be aligned with your vision. And then also, you know, at the same time, you know, it, it just helps. Like if you're an investor, who do you want to invest with? Right. Do you want to invest with somebody that, you know, is just your everyday syndicator? Or do you want to invest with somebody that looks like they know what they're doing? You know, they're putting the time and effort into getting business cards, you know, um, you know, designing a website and all this stuff, having good marketing materials. Um, you know, who would you rather invest with? That's the big question. Because at the end of the day, we're, you know, if you're, if you're a, you know, multifamily investor, um, you're pretty savvy. You can get on some people's lists. If you can get on one, you can be on 20. And so our big question in our mind is, okay, if, if they're getting all these deals in their inbox, right? How do we get them to pick us? That's the big question. So how do you stand out, right? Your brand, your marketing. How you present things to people is really what separates it because people will associate your brand and, and that experience uh, with the experience to, uh, of investing with you. You know, <clears throat> if, you know, you invest with somebody and they don't, they're not well organized or anything like that. They have these mix and match partnerships and all this stuff. Um, they don't send out regular updates and, and it's just kind of disorganized. You know, who are you rather, who would you rather invest with? Right. Um, so that's really why we put a lot of emphasis into, um, our brand, you know, even momentum, you know, it started as a meetup 
And we named it Momentum just as a psychological cue for people because we want people to keep coming back and just feel like it's just priming their mind. Hey, you're gaining momentum. You're making progress. Who doesn't want that? Right. That was the whole reason behind the, the brand itself. And it's catchy. You know, it's it's easy to remember when it comes up in conversation. You just kind of smile and that smile means our branding is working because people are associating that word with us. That's an awesome name for it. Um, and I kind of liked how you touched on it's not only a brand for attracting capital, but it's also for brokers. You, you said that it's it's more likely for someone, a broker to reach out to someone that they kind of know and they're organized and that happens through branding. So that's awesome that you touched on that. Um, but yeah, to kind of go into our express round, um, I'll pretty much just ask you five questions. And it's going to be at a pretty quick pace, but you can just take your time with the answers. There's no rush. Um, so are you ready? Sure. Let's do it. Awesome. So what is the biggest mistake you've made in real estate and what did it teach you? Oh, man. Um, doing single family. Um, <laughs> all, um, you know, it, it taught me to, you know, go bigger. Think big. You know, work hard and make it happen like the signs behind me. You know, it's whatever you set your mind to, you can make it happen. If, if you believe you can, that's the big if. Um, and to go to the second question, what is your favorite book? And if you have one that you like for your personal life and also that you have one for business, you can do either or. Yeah, I got a couple for, for business. I love the book principles by Ray Dalio. Um, just love his mindset, loves how his approach on, on business and running or an organization. Um, on mindset, um, man, I got a bunch. Uh, the power of awareness by Neville Goddard, fantastic book. Um, all about recognizing that inner dialogue and what you say to yourself and, and the importance of that. You know, if you reverse engineer your experience, right, your experience, your outcomes are determined by the actions that you take. The actions that you take are determined by the decisions that you make. And you come to those decisions because of the, the thoughts that you think on a regular basis. So you just have to reverse engineer your experience, say, hey, this is the outcome I want. How do I work backwards and figure out what should I be telling myself in the moment to be able to attract that future experience to me? So uh, The Power of Awareness is, is a fantastic book. Highly recommend it to anybody. Uh, just about really working on that mindset and understanding the importance and the value of that inner dialogue. Yeah, we're, we're really about, uh, I'm not sure if you know the author Eckhart Tolle. Yep. You know the power of now. I'm yeah, it sounds right like a similar book. Really? <laughs> fantastic book. I've read it twice and I'm currently rereading it. No, yeah. Awesome, awesome. I'll definitely check out that awareness book. Um, so my next question, what is the best piece of advice that you would give to someone or that you've received? You know, just just be patient, you know, be committed. I think that's that's the best thing you can do. If you love it, you'll make it happen. You'll find a way. Um, you know, Dustin, he, he said this uh, before and it's always stuck with me. It's like you got to find uh, the business that you are excited to solve problems at, you know, which, which, what are you excited to, you know, overcome the hurdles and overcome the problems that and challenges that are inevitably going to come? Because, you know, if you're not willing to overcome an obstacle, the first time you, you confront one, you know, that's probably not what you're meant to be doing. You know, uh, I think enthusiasm and excitement drives people to chase shiny objects, but you got to really know, Hey, what's my purpose? And, and what am I doing this for? Because that's going to drive you and push you through all those challenges so that you can eventually be that expert in the field. Um, but it takes time, you know, and you got to have patience and, and you just got to be committed. Do you have a daily habit that you would contribute some of your success to? Yeah. I mean, reading is a big part of it. 
um, you know, taking some time just to understand, you know, what's going through my mind, what do I want to accomplish? And, um, I think that is incredibly important tuning into your, to your feelings too, because what is a feeling, right? A feeling is an unconscious belief system. So if you can really dig into that feeling and understand, Hey, why am I feeling this? What does that really mean? What is that really saying? Um, you can understand a lot more about yourself and then also how to progress, how to grow. So I think that is incredibly important. You know, every morning I get up and I, I'm, you know, go to the gym and get active, get my body moving, get my mind working. Um, and, you know, those are kind of my two non-negotiables throughout the day, for sure. Uh, my last question, what is the best way for people in the audience to reach out to you? Yeah, great, great question. Um, you know, you can go to our website, MomentumMultifamily.com. If anybody has questions, you know, I'm happy to answer them. It's Hayden, H-A-Y-D-E-N, at MomentumMultifamily.com. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a really big advocate on trying to, um, you know, help up the next generation too, because, you know, the, it's multifamily as it's, it's good and bad, right? Because it's challenging to get into. You kind of need somebody to help you get your foot in the door, but it's very rewarding too, because you can offer the same, you know, so it's, it's a really fulfilling bus business in that aspect too. Um, so happy to answer any questions. You know, I know I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Dustin taking a chance on me. And, you know, I'd love to be able to help others along the way. We do appreciate your time, and It was a great show, and I look forward to staying in touch. Thanks. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you for listening to the Real Life Monopoly podcast with the Donis Brothers. If you want to learn more about what we do, make sure to visit our website, www.donisinvestmentgroup.com. And if you aren't already, make sure to follow us on all platforms at Donis Brothers. Let's be great today. Have a good one.